Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. Hey, we're back for another podcast. Uh, It's been a little bit of time because we've all been kind of busy and had a lot of different stuff going on, but today's actually kind of unique in the fact that we're all together for this podcast. And so we wanted to give just a little bit of an update on what's been going on lately and then why we are all in Colorado Springs together today to actually do this together. Yeah, so for me, Doug, I... And here in Colorado Springs, my wife and I, Reagan, came out originally to have some time with her family for vacation in Utah, and then we drove back to Colorado Springs. We're at a Navigator Summer Training Program called the Global Student Program. There's people from 20 different countries here to study the Bible, be in the Word together, and have a lot of fellowship. So we're really excited. It's a pretty unique opportunity to be a part of this thing, and it's great to be in Colorado, next to my brothers again. A little bit of a drive from Georgia, but we're really glad to be out here. Yeah, Greg, and, what have you been up to? Yeah, my wife and I just took a longer-term commitment in Colorado Springs, so we'll be with the now for at least another five years. And <laughs> so uh, we're, we're here to stay for now, indefinitely, as long as things go well. And yeah, we're moving to our first home on Monday, so we're excited about that. And have Jackson and Wesley, and Wesley's finally outgrown his colic, which has been nice. So we're <laughs> trying to catch up on sleep from the past two years, of, but we're doing doing okay, and yeah, enjoying this season just with two young kids and trying to keep up. Yeah, <clears throat> and Mark here. Uh, I have been busy a little bit. I started. I'm continuing in seminary and I'm doing eight credit hours over the summer. And so I'm going to be in July. I'll, I'll go to uh, Orlando for my first time on campus with Reformed Theological Seminary, which I'm excited for. And then I also took a role at my church. And in, in addition to doing high school ministry, I'm doing some global missions as well alongside of that. And then uh, just over four months out from a surgery on my ACL. So I'm like feeling good there again. And, um, it's kind of crazy to actually be able to see your scar right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is getting better, but it's, yeah, it's been nice. I actually did. I've been doing more in the gym, even just did some squat and deadlift and the not too long ago. So like a month ago, I think I did deadlift actually for the first time, which is nice. I was in New York, but anyways, about 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so we're, we're excited to actually be able to be in person together. I'm in Colorado Springs. I just drove down for the day. And then uh, on Sunday is Doug's 30th birthday. And my parents... Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. Their 34th anniversary. 34th so, anniversary. So we're going to celebrate... And Father's Day. So. And Father's Day, yeah. yeah. So Triple dipping everything. right there. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be good. But Greg, uh, as we're continuing this series about hard questions about the Christian faith, do you want to give us what our uh, next question is? Yeah, so today we're talking about transgenderism and just how does the Bible address this topic? It's 
something that's is a topic that's becoming a lot more prevalent in our culture, in the media, and becoming more of a topic of conversation that I've noticed just emerging over the past couple of years, specifically the past like one or two years, actually, more than I've noticed mm-hmm. before. Yeah, and so we're wanting to look at what is a Christian perspective on everything related to transgender. And this is the topic that's probably the most difficult for us to discuss. And even as we're trying to come up with what are the terms and how do we share from a Christian perspective, what is the Christian perspective on this? There's a lot that's up in the air. But Mark, would you start us off by just introducing some of the terms that we'll be using, just kind of giving us a definition of what we are talking about, what we're not talking about here tonight? Yeah. Definitely. And because this, this really does fall into a lot bigger of a discussion. I think even last week, or not last week, it was way longer than a week ago by now. But last time we talked about same-sex mm-hmm. relationships, we didn't immediately just dive into discussing same-sex relationships as much as we talked about, like, what's the whole story? Um, in similar way, this, this falls in a much bigger discussion of what is God's design of sexuality um, male, female, how do we account for the world that we live in where things um, are more confusing and where things do seem to be off at times and um, and where, yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions that relate to suffering and um, justice and, yeah, just perspectives on a lot of stuff. But a few of the terms I think are helpful to understand just going into this. One of them is uh, that we're talking about transgenderism. We're not only talking about gender dysphoria, but gender dysphoria will be part of our discussion. And so to to define those two separately, trans to be transgender, to be in our culture, the current definition of like, if you say you're a transgender man, what that would mean is that you were born biologically female, and yet you now identify as male, and maybe you've gone through transition surgery or hormones, but you don't necessarily have to have gone through those. You could identify as... Um, transgender male um, without um, going through a specific surgery or being anywhere along the spectrum of having undergone certain uh, changes, whether those be hormonal or physical. And so to be transgender is to identify other than your biological sex, or as some people use the term sex assigned at birth, but I think biological sex works probably fine for this. Um, And then gender dysphoria is actually a different... uh, topic but it's very much interrelated and gender dysphoria essentially is is actually more it would be more categorized as a medical condition um, by the american psychiatric association the apa um, and they have something called the dsm and they're we're currently on dsm-5 but the dsm is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders and so if you go, if you look it up online, the DSM-5, and you look up gender dysphoria, you can actually read about what categorizes gender dysphoria. And and I'll read a little bit from that, uh, from psychiatry.org, where it's categorizing, the, according to the DSM, gender dysphoria. And it says, in adolescents and adults, gender dysphoria diagnosis diagnosis involves a difference between one's experienced slash expressed and assigned gender in significant distress or problems functioning. It lasts at least six months and is shown by at least two of the following. And then it lists some symptoms. But what's important to note there is um, this significant distress or problems functioning. 
And so it's not the same as just someone saying, hey, I'm transgender. That doesn't uh, entail that they have gender dysphoria. Uh, gender dysphoria is more categorized when someone has experiences significant distress or issues functioning as a result of some of the symptoms would be a strong desire to be rid of one's primary and or secondary sex characteristics. Um, and just to be like very blunt on what that means, that could mean that someone uh, looks at their genitals and says, these don't belong on me, or I'm distressed by the fact that I have male genitals and I feel like a female. Or it could be, I don't like my Adam's apple and I feel like this isn't fitting to who I am, or my fingers are too long, which is, or too, they, they don't look right, which is, is an example I've heard. Um, Mark, would gender dysphoria also not just be the physical sides, but not wanting but just feeling a pain from the ways that society describes your gender and not feeling like you fit society's mold? Or is it more with your physical body? So that's a good question. One of the things is a strong desire to be treated as the other gender. Okay. And so if someone would say, I really feel like I should be treated as female, and yet mm -hmm. everyone's treating me and assuming that I should be treated as male, that could be part of that incongruence of... So part of the pain of... People treat me like a man, but yeah. I would rather, not just rather, I feel like I should be treated like a woman. Okay. Yeah. And then the sixth one it mentions, and this is an adult, so they listen for children too, um, but it says a strong conviction that one has the typical feelings and reactions of the under, other gender. Huh. And so it could even be, okay, I know <clears throat> on the outside I look male, but I feel like I'm experiencing the life of what it is to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and the rest of those, you can look up and read in the DSM and, and it's a helpful insight into just what gender dysphoria really is categorized. But again, that's not the same exact thing as transgenderism, but a lot of it goes hand in hand um, with, with certain people's experiences where they experience the uh, distress of feeling this in what we're going to call incongruence, this mismatch between biological sex in the in that feeling of gender and so i know there's a lot in there i'm going to give one more distinction that's helpful um sort of in our culture now there's a distinction between sex and gender um and this distinction is sex is sort of your hardware your biology your chromosomes um what were you born as were you born male then your sex is male sometimes this is referred to as sex assigned at birth um but then gender would be more that it how do you identify that inner expression that inner experience and so um even there's terms now that people will use where, where they'll say okay well you're a cisgendered man and what they mean by that is your biological sex matches with your um gender identity experience yeah gender expression and how you experience yourself in that so that's called being cisgendered is having a congruence between those two um and so there's there's increasing um terminology i've had to i've honestly done a decent amount of work to try and understand it being in communication at cu boulder was helpful for that being in the resident halls at cu boulder was helpful for that um, because discussions around gender and sexuality were were essentially really were at the forefront of many of the discussions we had about society. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, as you're talking about, Mark, to note that's helpful is that transgender and gender dysphoria is not 
necessarily tied to sexual orientation or to whom you're attracted, but it's your feeling uh, or experience of your own gender. Do you identify with your assigned gender or your with your like gender as male or female or not? And that could be for someone. I'm experiencing a lot of distress, but I still identify with the gender I was born with. Or it could be for someone they've gone and they're not identifying with either male or female and saying they're beyond that binary. Or it could be that they're transitioning entirely from one gender to the other. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's a really helpful distinction. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, something we've talked about a little bit is it gets something that can make this topic a little bit confusing sometimes. It's just the way that culture can define certain things as maybe more masculine or feminine in ways that the Bible doesn't always do. And so sometimes I think that this can be a little bit more loaded because we can make a lot of assumptions that if you have certain characteristics, mm-hmm. then you're more feminine. I remember just for myself, like I have, I remember growing up thinking I was more emotional than most guys or I'd tear up or cry at things. And that's something I was always kind of ashamed at or would yeah. try to often hide. And I think that that's just because it can feel like, well, this is a feminine characteristic and I don't want to show this. And yet when we look at the Bible, you see Paul always talking about the tears he has for his mm-hmm. friends and people he loves and when you look at Jesus crying you know the ultimate um, example there and so I think we need to be really careful not to lump in things that shouldn't be lumped in in this conversation Doug you were doing a better job maybe describing that than yeah just thinking that our culture's understanding of gender there's so much that's messed up with what we think and what we maybe assign and even think if Jesus was around would what would people think of him and the ways that he acted and his kindness and gentleness and tenderness uh, there's certain ways that he fits what Americans would think of as male but then there's other ways if you would look at the ways that he relates and think oh is that what masculinity looks like but he is the perfect picture of being human um and of being a man uh, yeah and of being a man and so even there just thinking there our culture's got a lot of things that are messed up already and one of the terms that shows up sometimes is called toxic masculinity and some people get like really distressed when that term comes up because they're like oh they're saying that everything about being male is bad and the people that use it really aren't trying to use it that way but there's certain things that have become part of our culture that really aren't helpful of masculinity. Like, there's some things of aggression. There's some things of, like, taking things by force. And if you look for toxic masculinity, it goes all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) So if you look at Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills his brother, but then one of Cain's descendants, like, five descendants down, like, boasts because he killed a man just for looking at him. He's got two wives and he's just making his whole boast. I've killed people just for looking at me. Cain killed for this reason, but Mm. look at me. So if you look at issues with what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, oh, it goes back really early on. And so what we're saying 
as Christians is not that our culture's standard for gender is what you need to feel like. Yeah. But there's something deeper of what it means to be in God's image, made male and female, that is part of the gospel, part of God's reflection in us. And that's one of the things we're wanting to hold on to. But of course, there's certain ways that as a man, if you don't line up with society's standard for masculinity, it's actually a really good thing because there's some yeah. of the things that are society's standard of, oh, this is what it means to be a woman. Like, oh, maybe some of those things are okay. Some of them are probably wrong. And then some of it, just individuals have a wide variety of, there's women who are much more logical and less emotional. And then there's men that are more emotional. So to feel like, oh, I'm a little bit off of my expected gender because I'm more emotional. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not part of (laughs) being a man. That's, it's actually having emotions is a really good and healthy thing. Yeah. So, and I I think too, going back to the discussion, thinking just about Jesus and his, I think too, I mean, part of the fear of, I know some people's fear of the critique of toxic masculinity is that means, oh, we can't be a man and stand up in any way. And it's like, that's not what's, like, there's, I don't think that's what's typically meant by that. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, that's where I would say even, like, in Jesus, you see an example of, like, Jesus has, like, the severity and the kindness. Mm-hmm. And they actually highlight each other. Like, he has a sort of severity towards evil and injustice. He goes into the temple at one point. He's, like, flipping the tables. And he sees you see, like, a severity and a sternness. And yet, that's the severity and sternness that ultimately is harnessed towards... Um, being willing to die for uh, his enemies and loving others to the point of death and sacrificing and exemplifying just even there what that looks like. Um, and so maybe what would be good now is just even to transition into thinking then if we're going to ask this question, what is the Christian perspective on transgenderism? Um, Doug, I think you could probably start us off for this one. Of How would you say... Um, we answer that. It's on. It's asking you, what's the Christian perspective on transgenderism? How would you go about that? I think this is one that I would start with the image of God. And a couple of years ago, I don't think I would have started there, partly because the image of God in humans wasn't such a key part of my understanding of what it means to be human. But starting with the image of God, because one of the things that we want to remember is that every single person on the earth is made in his image and bears God's likeness. And we're all broken. And there's different ways that that brokenness expresses. But one of the things we need to remember is that people with transgender like issues or gender dysphoria or who identify as the opposite of what they were born are in God's image and are worthy of dignity, value, and respect. And oftentimes I don't think we treat people in that way. And one of the things that's good in our culture is that we're moving away from jokes about somebody's gender identity. And so I think the first thing to remember, anyone has dignity and deserves to be treated as an image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. I think the second way that the image of God is helpful is to realize that in Genesis 1, that God does create the male and female in his image so that they might be like him. And it's interesting that he ties, or that God ties his image and humanity to male and female. That's part of his design from the beginning. And we talked about marriage 
last time as we were talking about um, the LGB, the gay, lesbian uh, side of this, where what we're wanting to protect is that the marriage between a man and a woman reflects the gospel. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And one of the things here with transgenders, we also want to go back to see that God's design in creating us male and female is to be a reflection of the Trinity in some way that is mysterious. And as soon as we start to say, like, this is how it reflects the Trinity, we're on shaky ground. But it's also a reflection of the marriage of Christ and the church and a presentation of the gospel. And one of the ways that we, just one of the reasons why we care about this discussion as Christians is because gender is one of the things that God's used to portray the gospel and to portray his image. And so to, to deny gender is to deny part of what it means to be made in God's image. And there's yeah. a loss there and there's a cost there. So to just give this up um, is denying something deep about how God has made us. And it's not the only thing about us to be one gender or another but it is a key component of how God has made us. So there's a loss of something deep there. One of the things that's also, I think, significant to think through is the hope that we have of redemption. What is the hope for someone who feels that they are, were misassigned their gender? And I think one of the things that is sorrowful about this discussion is that for people who do transition, there's often a deep amount of pain as they come to the end of this transition because um, ultimately like our hope for redemption is in Christ, that he's the one who one day will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And that's Philippians 3.20. So the hope of redemption for our bodies is in Christ. And the sorrow that I think I feel for this transgender discussion is what's being offered as the solution is something that's not the solution that we're given in Christ. And therefore, it's not going to meet our deepest longings. And um, I think one thing that's also just helpful to realize is that there is a deep and real pain that people are feeling. They're not just making this up. So if somebody is coming up to you and they're discussing this it and just they're wrestling with it, if you're even wrestling with this, like we don't think you're just trying to like feel that way. I think there's like a deep sorrow and a pain that's there that's real that we need to be just gentle with. And maybe I can't relate to this struggle, but... Yeah, I think one of the just big things there, like treating people with dignity and value, that this pain is very genuine. This pain is not chosen. Um, but we want to give the right hope. And our hope for redemption is in Christ. And yeah, that'd be kind of where I would end with this. Other thoughts, but I'll let you guys go yeah. next. What about yeah. you, Mark? <clears throat> no, I, th I think you're hitting on something really essential there, which is we have to recognize the pain in the suffering in it. Like, I don't think you can, yeah. I don't think you can legitimately enter into this discussion and do anything helpful if you don't recognize pain, if you don't recognize suffering, and if you don't have sympathy. Yeah. Because I think, like, the moment in any issue we view ourselves as beyond 
another person like you're experiencing something that I would never experience or you're struggling with something that I would never struggle with um we're mm-hmm. in a lot of ways we're invalidating um I, I'd say invalidating them or we're we're misunderstanding our connection and our the fact that like we're in the same boat with each other as humans we're in the same condition mm-hmm. um I think there's a couple really good examples of this, and this is where I'd say let's like we don't want to downplay the pain. And if anything, I would probably let's say hey, we might more lean towards that and getting a quick answer. Maybe we need to more upplay the pain and like actually hear it. Um, and so, a couple examples from a Christian and non-Christian perspective, um, just even on some of the pain and struggle of um, of this issue, I, I wanted to bring out. And so, one of them is from a book called Dangerous Calling by. Uh, Paul David Tripp, who's a counselor, um, and he talks about just some of the students he's had in his seminary classes over the year, and he talks about one of his interactions with um, one person, and he talks about how, uh, this is on page 45 of his book, but he says that um, he's, it, basically, he's sitting down with this person, and they're talking, and what what comes next, he wasn't really quite prepared for, and what he hears is from the other person is, I have a closet of women's clothes in my basement that I put on at night. It's the one time in my day when I feel comfortable. So I have a closet of women's clothes in my basement that I put on at night. It's the one time in my day when I feel comfortable. And just to think about that for a moment. So say you're, I mean, this person being in ministry and having this experience where the one time a day where they feel comfortable, where their anxiety is going down, where they get release is when they put on women's clothing. And that idea of that incongruence, this feeling of I am something other than my biological sex is, is not just a, ah, I just feel like I should be a girl. It's, it's actually like a distress, like, and there's a relief of anxiety that comes with that, even for someone who wouldn't necessarily want to transition or to change, who has a family, uh, as in that example. And so that's one even just like from a Christian perspective of like, okay, so here's this hidden secret, this thing that's causing distress. Uh, then there was an article um, in the New York Times that I think caused a little bit of a stir when it was at first written. Um, but the name of the article is my it, the name of the article is "My New Vagina Won't Make Me Happy and It Shouldn't Have To" by Andrea Longchu, and it's was in the New York Times back in 2018. Um, but in that article, it's, uh, Andrea sh- talks about how uh, there's going to be a surgery to uh, get a vagina essentially transitioning from male to female and how that surgery will last six hours and one of the quotes is my body will regard the vagina as a wound as a result Um, it will require regular painful attention to to maintain Uh, this is what I want but there is no guarantee it will make me happier in fact I don't expect it to that shouldn't disqualify me from getting it and what happens through the article is essentially the argument is I know this isn't going to make me happier. That's not why I'm saying I should get this surgery. What I'm arguing is that I have the right to this surgery as someone who is experiencing dysphoria. Um, Another quote in there that I think is really helpful to hear is, like many of my trans friends, I've watched my dysphoria balloon since I've began transition. I, I now feel very strongly about the length of my index fingers, enough that I will sometimes shyly unthread my hand from my girlfriends as we walk down the street. When she tells me I'm beautiful, I resent it. I've been outside. I know what beautiful looks like. Don't patronize me. And this next line is just painful. And it says, 
I was not suicidal before hormones. Now I often am. And so going through the experience of explaining, since I've been going through some of these changes with the hormones, I'm experiencing suicide, being a, a suicidal tendencies, which I didn't have before. I know this isn't going to make me fully happy, yet this is, this is my right, essentially, to be able to do this. And, and so I think the response is essentially to people who'd say, who are saying no to the surgery, and the arguments that's being made is, no, this is, this is a right I have. And, and there's a lot we could get into discussions about um, transitioning, and is that helpful? And, you know, people argue back and forth, all that sort of stuff. But I think even where I would push here is just say, okay, so we have a story in both these cases and across the board of human suffering um, Mm -hmm. and confusion, pain, difficulty, and incongruence. And what I mean when I say incongruence is a lack of clarity or a lack of syncing up between physical sex and the feeling of who you are on the inside, that idea of gender. And... I, this is really where I think the Bible offers the most coherent storyline to our culture at this moment, which sounds mm-hmm. odd, um, but I really do think it's compelling and something that's entirely unique. Because what the Bible presents is that God created good; He created male and female. Um, this is not a. This really isn't a problem for the Christian to say, okay, well then, how come some people have these feelings, or how come there's some of these realities? The reality is scripture teaches God created male and female, but it also presents that there's been a fall in the world. The the good creation of God was distorted, that sin entered into the world and that affected everything from the thorns and the thistles that go on the ground to man's relationship with God, as in humanity's relationship with God, to the relationship between men and women, to uh, the relationship of just humanity as a whole, and even in the way that humanity relates, like I said, with the thorns and thistles, with nature. And so this like idea of the cosmic, far-reaching implications of the fall that reach every, every area. And so we see this when people are born with uh, maybe a mental disorder or maybe predisposed to something like depression. And we have all sorts of mental disorders that we know have biological causes. It's not only biological causes, but there are biological causes to mental disorders. We see this when um, people experience all sorts of suffering, such as, you know, like organ malformation. So some people are born and they have difficulty hearing because of um, formation of, yeah, because of formation of organs. And whether that be your eardrum, whether that be a leg, or whether that be your sexual organs. Um, the idea of being intersex, I think, is one that comes up as a counterexample of, oh, if God created the male and female, how come there's um, rare but real examples of intersex, which is people who are born maybe with both male and female organs, which does happen on uh, certain occasions. And I think, again, there, we actually as Christians do have an ability to answer to that. Now, the answer may come across as somewhat harsh, but I think it's actually somewhat helpful if we, because it, it, it is to say, yeah, we do see this as um, a chain or a deviance from the original good creation, but we don't do so in such a way that we say, um, therefore, you are beyond hope or you are beyond redemption or you're unique from any other person. Because what we say is sin has affected all of humanity. The specific manifestations of sin, sure, we can talk about how they're different, and they are. 
But on the core level, sin has affected all of humanity and the entire relationship of the cosmos. And we lie in that. And I think in some ways it actually legitimizes people's suffering because it says, yeah, you're suffering in this and your suffering's real. It's, it, this is a real thing that you're, you're experiencing pain and suffering. But then it's, what do we point it towards? And this is where I'd say um, one of our neglected doctrines as Christians in the 21st century, as in America now, um, is the resurrection. And what the resurrection is, is a promise that God is going to make all things new starting with everyone who puts their faith in him. And um, so Romans 8 talks about this. Uh, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of child, together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is Romans 8.23 now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, um, eager, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So redemption of our bodies. And the Bible presents that God is going to make all things new, starting with his people who have put their faith in Christ, and then the entire cosmos. The earth is waiting for the redemption of the people of God. And so when we get to that issue of congruence, and what hope do we offer people who experience an incongruence between their sex and who they feel they are truly on the inside, the same hope we offer all people who feel that things are not right in this world, which is the resurrection of the dead, where God raises us imperishable, undefiled, pure bodies, minds unaffected by the fall, so that we can worship and glorify and experience life with him for all eternity. And so the resurrection of the dead actually has everything to say about this issue. Um, but I think it's one that, for a while, I personally didn't really tie into it. And now, the more I've thought about it, of the far-reaching effects of sin, as well as the far-reaching implications of the gospel, it's like... I, I can't, I don't know, I, I almost can't, like, help just, like, go to it now as my baseline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that hope of the redemption of our bodies, Paul even continues to say, for in this hope we were saved. Yeah. And then he says, now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we're not saying that it would be easy to hope in this redemption of our bodies. There is a patience and a trial that's there. And there may be an incongruence that's felt throughout a person's lifetime. But in Christ, there's a redemption of our bodies for all time. And that's good news for someone who's got chronic back pain. It's good news for the little girl who feels like her body is ugly. It's good news for the person who feels like they're assigned the wrong gender is that one day all of that will go away. Our bodies and minds and hearts and souls will be redeemed and will live in freedom with the Lord. That's yeah. a glorious hope that for all time, this incongruence will be done away with pain will be no more. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's yeah. a beautiful thing in that, that God is not uncaring or aloof, but he will himself wipe away the tears of his people and welcome us into his presence. Yeah. That's good news. Yeah. Yeah. One, one way I've kind of heard that talked about, <clears throat> that growing is in the pains of childbirth that Romans 8 references, is yeah. just the difference between the groaning and the pains of childbirth versus the groanings and the pains of death. And, share this story with you guys before but at one point we were we had to take Jackson to the emergency room and I just remember mm. there were a lot of 
people, more elderly people who were in the emergency room at that time. And it was like one in the morning and there was just a lot of groaning as we went by the rooms and I looked in and it was a lot of people that were older and we were realizing a lot of them were probably going to pass away that night. And Hmm. it was just this heavy, somber feeling of knowing that death was coming and the end of those groanings was death. Hmm. But then... A couple months later, we go in and we have Wesley, and having a baby is a pretty crazy experience, especially for Gretchen more so than me, but uh, there's a lot of groaning in that as well, and yet what it leads to is such life and joy, and I think it's so cool that the way that the Bible talks about the groanings, the suffering that we experience is leading to something greater the end of that is joy and life and paul says that the sufferings we experience in this world aren't worth comparing with the joy with the glory that we'll experience in eternity and that's Mm. such a promise to hang your life on that no amount of pain or difficulty or no suffering that you experience in this life is ultimately worthless or arbitrary or Mm -hmm. outside of god's sovereignty or yeah. beyond redemption. Yeah. And it's also not just, hey, deal with it, one day you'll be in heaven, mm-hmm. but it's achieving something. And it can be really hard to believe that. And I think for us, the way that we've learned that lesson is through our mom and just the chronic pain that she's felt for decades now. And that call back to this eternal is achieving an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's hard to believe that because it doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel momentary is what mom always says. But to trust the Lord that it is not just, hey, get over it, you'll be okay. Or it's not just, hey, one day you'll be in heaven so it doesn't matter. But somehow, even in this pain, this pain of childbirth, there's a life that God's achieving and bringing about and working for good, even if we don't get it in this lifetime. Yeah. But I guess, Greg, what would be kind of your short answer for this question? Yeah. I mean, you guys have touched on most of the stuff that I usually would go to. So I guess a little bit more of a pragmatic approach to it when I'm thinking about how would I talk to somebody or counsel someone or... Mm-hmm. think through this if someone says you know what should i do i have these urges i feel like i'm a woman um and something that just one way i think i learned to approach people in general is what we've been talking about how we all have just dispositions we all have distortions in ourselves and we all have ways that we really seek life and joy outside of god and that's what sin is is turning to other things outside of god for life and but when we think about what's our really greatest need underneath all those things is Jesus. And this is the way we talked about it when we were at Boulder is, is our goal here at Boulder to stop the party culture one year while we were there, they got number one party school in the nation. And we are like, well, is this our goal to, you know, move lower on the list? Is it to be 35 by next year and lower after that? It's like, no, that's not really the greatest need of people here. Is it? It's not to stop drinking. It's not to stop drugs. Our, people's greatest need is Jesus. And if we're trying to fix those surface things without the root and foundation of people's greatest need being Christ and life in Christ, then we're going to miss everything. And so in Sam Albury talks about this, and he talks about John 3, and when Nicodemus 
this guy comes to Jesus at night. Jesus says, you need to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, in order to have a relationship with God. You need to be born again. And that's kind of an offensive idea, if you think about it, because it's saying the way you're made at first, the way that you are, there's something that foundationally needs to change about it at the very mm -hmm. root. And you need to be given new life, and you need to be born again into Christ. And what that means for us, though, is that for all of us, there's things that maybe feel inherent or things in our life in our flesh as we had talked about as christians that are still there that might seem like they're very true to us might seem like our true deepest longings and yet those might not actually be what god has designed us for and it might not be our truest self and so when we have this new life in christ though what what we really i think we need to believe and see as a conviction is that christ offers us life to the full and when we're obeying Christ and when we're born again, we become Christians and we're coming under submission of Christ's authority in our lives, what he's calling us to is actually our truest self. Our truest being is following mm -hmm. Christ, whatever that means for us. And so there's going to be things in all of us that seem innate, that seem inherent, that seem like we should be able to do, and yet we're called to surrender those and put those at the foot of the cross and be obedient to Christ and Yet what we know is that our truest health and truest life and joy is found in that. And so what I'd say is if you really do have the Spirit of God, then any area of your life where you're saying, I'm going to not obey what God has told me to do, that's not going to lead to life and joy. That's going to lead to your life being worse. That's going to be actually out of touch of your truest self. And it's not going to lead you to the joy that it maybe promises. And Hebrews 3 talks about sin as just deceitful. It says, I'll offer you something, mm -hmm. but it won't. And the root of all of our sin is usually along those lines of thinking that something's going to be greater than following God, thinking that something's going to be more satisfying, more worthwhile. And I've said this before here. I think I heard it from our previous nav staff at cu brian hanneman but he said i've never once followed christ in my life and regretted it i have and mm -hmm. you know for me i have a lot of regrets in life but it's never been coming under submission to god's word and so what i what i would kind of tell anybody is yes there's this call to take up your cross but it's leading to greater life and joy and for anybody in this situation, the greatest need is Jesus. The greatest need is being born again. And then when you have the Spirit of God and you're given this new life, then let God direct you. And what am I supposed to do? How do I handle this? How do I make decisions? What way should I go about this? But if we're if we're kind of addressing it before someone's a Christian or before they have the Spirit of God in them, then we're going to be really talking past things, just talking on surface level things without addressing the root. And so my my where I'm gonna go needs to be right at the root of need for Jesus and when someone has that let the spirit of God direct them and let the word of God direct what they decide to do and um, yeah mm -hmm. yeah I guess along those same lines though as we're helping people let's have great patience with them Let's have great people that are going through this, knowing like any area of our life, it's going to be a process of growth. It's going to be a process of, the Bible talks about our 
becoming more like Jesus from one degree of glory to the next and over time and sometimes a lot slower than we wish it was and sometimes it's not easy and so it is a process but through that process let's be patient let's be for one another let's uh, love people unconditionally and stand right side by side and as people are wrestling through something like this that maybe feels more loaded or maybe feels more shame just because of the cultural implications we really need to be walking deeply with people and showing them the gospel and being an example of God's love and mm-hmm. the grace that God continues to show us. Yeah. Yeah, I think one other just thought here for somebody that is maybe like wrestling with gender dysphoria or maybe who has already transitioned away from their birth gender, there can be this questioning of like, am I too far gone from the gospel or sometimes if a Christian is reaching out to someone it's like oh could this person actually be saved would they ever want this but to realize oh for anyone to come to Christ it really is a work of God and it is a miracle that by the Holy Spirit this comes and to realize that the offer of the gospel is free and for all and that deep down all of us are longing for the redemption that's in Christ. All of us are longing to live as God's image bearers. All of us long for the affirmation that you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And the hope that we have in Christ of redemption is such a sweet message. And for somebody that's wondering, could I be acceptable to Christ if I've done this? Or am I so... Um, off that Christ couldn't want me and I think people feel that way for a lot of reasons they feel like I'm outside of the grace of God Um, but it's not true and just the hope that we have in Christ is that if anyone would come after him there's a freeness of the offer of grace no matter how far someone's gone and whatever they've done in their sin, in their depths, Jesus has gone even deeper. He went all the way to the cross and all the way to the grave and died for my sin so that I can have new life. And if somebody's wondering, could my sins be covered by Christ? This is another time to be amazed by the greatness of our Savior. No matter how great the sin is in you or me, His grace is greater still. Now, no matter how far down you and I have gone, he has gone further still, and he's come back up from the grave so that we too might walk in newness of life. So if you're thinking about someone who's one of your friends, if you yourself are wrestling with these things, know that the grace of Christ is deeper still and that he has paid it all so that you can have a new life, and he desires for you to be his. One of the verses that just is astounding to me in Hebrews 2 is that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. And to think that Christ wouldn't be ashamed to call me his brother or to call you his brother if you would come to him. It's astounding. It makes me tear up and cry right now. Like, how could that possibly be true? And yet that's what's offered he would long to be called your brother to make you his own so that your sin would be covered with him and i think we need to 
be amazed by that for each of us and to hold out that hope to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end that. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.